Hey everybody, Michael Cohen here and welcome back to another episode of Cohen's Corner. Thank you very much for tuning into today's show. As always, you can find episodes of this podcast available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you listen to shows. For those of you listening on an Apple device, we encourage you to leave a star rating or a comment, preferably five stars if you like the show, because all of the positive feedback we get through Apple, that plays into their algorithms and increases the placement for the show, the awareness, the exposure, and all of that translates to more listeners, and so I really appreciate all the support you guys have given me so far, and if any more of you are interested in leaving a comment or a review, I really, really appreciate it. I read them all. Special shout out this week to Bev Farm, Smacks, my old middle school and elementary school soccer teammate Jordan Callenback, and A-Fry for the comments that you guys left. That was really nice of you, and I appreciate it. It was nice to hear from Jordan. I hadn't talked to him in I don't know how long, maybe since high school, um, but it was great to uh, to catch up with him a little bit digitally through uh, a nice comment that he left. So thank you guys very much for the support. And again, anybody on an Apple device, if you like the show, please leave a five-star rating. It goes a long way. The episode we have today is one that I think you'll really enjoy. I've been working on putting something like this together for quite some time. I wanted to find a way to bring you guys into the scouting world. We've talked to players, we've talked to coaches, we've talked to one of the preeminent NFL writers in the country, but I haven't really been able to find a way to bring you guys into the the scouting um, you know, scouting dimension, if you will, which is obviously one of the biggest and most important parts of an NFL organization. It's what leads into the draft every year. It's what leads into identifying talent on the free agent wire or guys that are out on the street, whatever the case may be. And so the guest we have today is Jim Nagy, and he's the executive director of the Senior Bowl, which is the absolute top-of-the-line college all-star game at the end of the college football season and the buildup to the NFL draft. But before he was named executive director of the Senior Bowl in 2018, Jim was a scout for nearly 20 years. He broke into the league as a West Coast area scout for the Washington Redskins in 2001. He was with the New England Patriots from 2002 to 2008, primarily as a Midwest area scout. Then he transitioned into a national scouting role with the Kansas City Chiefs from 2009 to 2012, and then most recently worked with the Seattle Seahawks from 2013 to 2018 as a Southeast area scout, which is by far the most fertile scouting ground in the country. That's where the SEC is. That's where the preeminent ACC programs are. That's where you're going to get your top-end talent and the majority of players that are selected in the NFL draft every year. So Jim made for a fascinating guest talking about both the Senior Bowl and how they get players ready for the NFL draft, and then also his experience you know, in nearly two decades as a scout across the country, what it's like to be on the road, how you learn to identify players, what traits you're looking for. It was a really exciting and interesting conversation, and I learned a lot as well. So hopefully you guys will enjoy it. And without further ado, let's get to a conversation with Jim Nagy. Well, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I know this is a time when, when you and your staff at the Senior Bowl are still very busy because it's it's basically a year-round process for you guys, looking ahead, getting ready for next year's game. I know that scouts never really need an excuse to watch more tape, but are you guys using this time to just dig in and, and really get to know some of these prospects? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, we are. So what, what our process is, we, we got done with our game there January 26th, and we took about a week off and uh, we have three scouting assistants here in the office and they jumped right in on next year's guys. So we, we split it up by conference. And so far we, they made it all the way through every FBS school in the country, um, looking at all the returning starters and, and guys that played a key role last year, got on the field in some capacity, whether it was in sub defense or, uh, you know, third receiver or that sort of thing. So we've evaluated there's 569 names on the board right now. Wow. Um, we're, we're getting through some small, we're getting some small school stuff done right now. Um, so I have a ton of uh, catch up to do myself personally to cross check all these guys, but yeah, our guys have worked really hard and done an awesome job and, and, uh, it's going to be a, a full year. Like you said, it's a, it's a total year on process of, of getting, you know, preparing for this game, doing it the right way. When you were named executive director in 2018, I thought it was really interesting that you decided to approach it as if you guys had your own scouting staff. You wanted area scouts. You wanted in-house scouts. Why was that important to you, and, and how do you think it's helped advance the quality of player you guys have gotten in the game the last couple of years? Um, you know, it's just I wanted to do it the right way. Um, you know, there's, bring legitimacy to our, to our football operation, you know, and, and – 
uh, you know, also in, in, you know, our area scouts are, are all guys that have, have, you know, been in the league at some point. I, I wanted this to be kind of a soft landing spot for guys, you know, if they find themselves out of it. A lot of times when you're, when you work in football, whether it's, you know, coach, scout, whatever, whatever it might be, um, you're going to find yourself in the crosshairs at some point in your career because um, the team, team hadn't done well. So it doesn't mean you're not good at what you do. Um, so I wanted to give this, you know, give guys a, a place to come for a year if they find themselves out of it, um, stay connected to it, be out at games and, on the weekend, you know, so GMs and decision makers can see those guys out, um, you know, and keep them involved in, an, in another draft cycle so they're not out of it for a year. So that's been great. I mean, that's really been fun working with some guys that, I've known on the road for years, um, but never worked with on the same staff. So getting to know those guys a little better, making them, uh, you know, part of our process. And, and again, really just wanted to, you know, everything we're doing on social media is to pull back the curtain on this thing and, and not make it a secret, you know, and show everyone who we're interested in and, um, you know, what our process is. And just, again, really just legitimize what, what, what we're trying to do. You know, I think from from a football fan's perspective and from somebody who maybe doesn't follow the game hyper closely, I think you look at the combine and then you hear a lot about pro days as sort of the the big scouting tools. But when you were in the league and and from when you talk to guys now that are still in the league and things, why is the Senior Bowl such a valuable experience for teams and scouts around the league? Uh, Because it's real football. You know, I think uh, the combine and pro days is, going back to my experience in the league that the players that that the teams i worked for missed on the most um we put way too much stock into what happened in, in shorts and uh that's just not real football of course there's you know there's metrics you want to take you know there's different um benchmarks you want at each position that you'd like to see guys hit from a testing perspective um but that's not you know that's not real football so um you know the, down here you're seeing the best on the best in in one-on-one situations and um, you're getting to spend it, you know, more importantly, you're getting to spend a week with these guys off the field, which there's no point in this pre-draft process where you get a full week with these players and really get to know them. It's, it's a little more of a relaxed schedule for both the NFL guys and the players. Um, the combine's a little bit of a, a meat grinder in terms of, um, you know, everyone having a, a lot on their plate that week. So, um, again, going back to mistakes that are made, it's usually you miss on the person more than you miss on the player. So, um, I think our, you know, Senior Bowl week always, when I was scouting, it was always the, the best opportunity to really, um, you know, get to know the players and observe them. You know, you get to see them on the field. You're getting to see who takes coaching and who doesn't and who bounces back from that bad rep and who can't. And, and uh, there's just so many great takeaways. If you come down here, you know, really dialed in on what's going on around you, um, you can really come away with a good feel for all these guys. And that's why just in, in the two years I've been working here, I've uh, I've had a number of GMs say they feel a lot better, you know, calling that name in on draft day when it's a senior bowl guy because they feel like they know him. And it's just human nature. We all, you know, we, you know, we're more comfortable in our decisions, you know, when we're, when we feel like we've done all the work and we're more familiar. And and that's, that's really what this week allows these guys to do. You know, I really loved learning about your story during the research process and, and things that I've read in interviews over the last couple of years since you took over down in Mobile. I, I just think that, you know, you have one of those those classic stories of, of a guy that just, you know, sends a resume to every single team in the league like you did when you were coming out of the University of Michigan trying to break into the scouting world somehow. And, you know, you were fortunate enough to end up in Green Bay in a season that was pretty magical there in 96 when you first got a job in the PR department. Can you kind of go back and recreate a little bit what it was like to, to technically not have a scouting job, but kind of be sticking your nose in the door all the time to talk to John Schneider and Reggie McKenzie and those guys like you were doing back then in 96? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I talk to young guys all the time that want to get into the business. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, guys today have it a little tougher because it's, it's more well-known. Um, you know, there wasn't any, there wasn't even the internet back then, man. You couldn't even get on and Google like how to become a scout. I had no idea how to do it. I just knew that's what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, there's there's just a lot more competition now for these jobs. It's just a well, it's, it's so much more of a well-known profession now. Um, there's so much out there. There's so much information out there. Um, so that makes it more difficult, but it's a little easier now that there's actually you know scouting internships and scouting. Um, scouting assisted entry level jobs. I mean, there, there weren't those things back in '96. So you're only, you're only real foot in the door 
um, back then outside of a full-time job was, was in the, in the PR space. So yeah, I was lucky enough to get that job in Green Bay. And then, uh, there was five future GMs on that Green Bay staff. And, um, you know, every time I had a free minute, I was up there, you know, trying to bother those guys and bug those guys and, um, you know, trying to learn. And, and again, it's just, you know, right place, right time. And, and, you know, wanted to take advantage of that opportunity. And, and, you know, four years later, John Schneider gets the opportunity to, to you know, hire a staff in Washington and, and he hired me to scout the West coast. So that was, uh, that was kind of my path. And, uh, I'm, you know, really just, really grateful for uh, the people and experiences that I've had, you know, in, in the, in the time that I've been doing this. And is it true that that one year in green Bay that you ended up sharing a, a house or, or renting a room kind of from one of the players on the team that year? Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Thomas and one of our, one of our tight ends ends up, you know, now he's one of my lifelong best friends. He uh, was in my wedding and uh, he and a guy named Travis Jervy, one of our running backs, we just became really good friends. And, um, you know, to this day, we still keep in good touch and see each other. And just a, like you said, it was a magical year. It was a really special year. There's a lot of great dudes in that locker room. Um, Green Bay is a special place. It's a special organization. Um, and I was just lucky to meet the people that I did on, on and off the field. Um, Jeff's a great guy. and He let me flop in his in his, the downstairs of his place for, for a year um, and didn't charge me much rent, which was good because I wasn't making a lot of money. So... Uh, <laughs> So it was uh, it, it was it was a really cool year. You mentioned the importance of relationships in this business, and obviously you overlapped during that one year with John Schneider in Green Bay. And then, like you said, fast forward four or five years to 2001 when he's in the front office with the Washington Redskins and he makes you that West Coast area scout. And, and I'm wondering if you kind of remember the day that you found out you got your first scouting job. What was that like, and, and did it feel um, you know, sort of like a, a realization of that childhood dream that you had? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I don't remember the day. Well, I'm sure I was jacked up about it. <laughs> but, uh, I just, moved, I just moved to Chicago, um, to be with my, uh, to, I was living in New York. I moved to Chicago to be with my fiance and I'd only been there maybe like three months. And then, uh, you know, got that West coast job. We, we ended up moving to, uh, to Scottsdale. So, you know, having to uproot her before, um, the marriage wasn't easy, but, uh, it all worked out well. And it, it was, it was an exciting time. Again, I've just, I've been really blessed and, and feel very fortunate, but, but yeah, that was a, seems like a long, long time ago, man. I, I, I <laughs> but I'm sure I was, uh, I know I was pretty, pretty jacked up about it. What, uh, what goes into the process of going on a school call and checking in on a campus? What are you trying to learn when you go and visit these schools and, and pick up on guys? And, and what are you bringing with you? What types of materials or, or knowledge is important going into a school call? Well, man, this, this, this question could take a couple hours, but I don't know how much time <laughs> uh, Yeah, the school calls are huge in the fall. They really are. It's, it's your, your, you know, your opportunity to to really get around people that know these players the best. Um, getting to know the players themselves through the process is really important. You know, hearing a lot of this stuff firsthand from them. But, you know, going into the school, you get to, you get to meet with so many different people um, that come at these guys from different angles, whether it's, you know, the trainer, the strength coach, their position coach, a coordinator, um, the academic advisor, um, you know, the lady in the lunchroom, the custodians, I mean, the equipment managers, I mean, all these guys see these players through a different lens. And uh, so you're just trying to gather as much of that information as possible so you can go back and and go back to your club and, and you know, report back to your GM and your head coach. I mean, really, when you're a scout, you're, you're the guy that's going to have the boots on the ground um, the most in the fall. I mean, they're all going to be able to sit around the facility and watch tape. I mean, they, by the time you draft a player, you're going to have six or seven different sets of eyes on a player in most cases. But, but really, you know, you, if you're the, you're the regional scout or the area scout, I mean, you're the one that really has to nail the person and figure out how this guy is and how he fits in your culture. So, um, you know, you just got to, you got to go in every day with an open mind and, and uh, keep looking for answers. You know, you can't just go in the first time and, and uh, you know, meet with people and, and call it a day. I mean, you got to go back multiple times. You got to, exhausted through the whole process because you can always find out more um again i think the the good teams around the league that that's an ongoing process up until draft day they're they're continuing trying to figure out who these who these guys are and 
what they'll be as pros and, and, and all those critical questions, um, you know, how much they love football and where they came from and um, all those things. So, yeah, the school calls are critical. I mean, nowadays the tape is digitized. It's really easy to, you know, pull down tape and watch it in the hotel. I mean, you used to not be able to do that. I mean, the school calls used to be critical because that's, you know, you're beholden to the tape, uh, the schools for the tape. So, um, but now it's not like that. Now you can go into the schools and you're just, you're, you're really digging. Um, you're really digging. And then, and then to go out to practice, you know, and, and see the body type, that's a really critical part of the, um, the evaluation process is how these guys are built. Um, and then you see practice habits and you can see different athletic traits, you know, in person that, that, you know, you get a better feel for live than you would on tape. So it's uh, school. The, the fall process is critical. How would you sort of compare and contrast what it's like to, you know, for example, you started on the West Coast to go in and make a school call or go visit a place like USC, which has, you know, a number of prospects every year might have 5, 10, 15 guys that range from draft picks to free agents versus maybe going to a place you mentioned you guys were living in Arizona. So let's say like a a northern Arizona or a smaller school that maybe doesn't have prospects every year, but you know you're going to go in and just check in and things. What's it like from a resource standpoint and a scouting standpoint to go to a quote-unquote football factory versus a much smaller program? Yeah, it's it's a different day. You just got to come prepared, you know, in 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 a different format, but you're still trying to get you're still trying to get the same information. It's just on a different amount of players. So um, again, you, you got to go in with an open mind. I mean, you're not, you might look at tape in the fall and think you, you know, which guys you really want to focus on during the day, but there might be a player that, you know, was hurt the year before or transferred in or just made a huge jump over the summertime, put on weight or change positions. Um, there's all those guys. You got to be ready for guys that, that pop up. So, you, you know, um, you know, same thing at a small school. There might be a guy that's, that's a really under-the-radar player at a small school, and you might be going in to look at, at one guy, but, um, you know, there might be someone that, you know, the school the school thinks has an equal chance. Um, and so you got to do all the work on them as well. So it's just – it's it's really – you know, it depends on – it's really the length of the day, um, you know, depending on how many prospects you're going to be looking at. That's really the biggest difference. When you uh, when you would have the opportunity to go through a school maybe a second or a third time in a year, if you do have that opportunity, what are the types of things you look to sharpen up or glean from a secondary visit after you've already been through the school once in the fall? It just, uh, you know, discrepancies between sources. Um, you know, not everyone's going to see these guys the same way. I mean, there, there might be certain guys where no matter who you talk to it's a, it, in a school, you know, everyone kind of sees them the same way. He's you know, well-raised, he's polite, he's on time, he's dependable, he's a great practice player, he learns football well. I mean, you know, you're checking all the boxes. There might be some of those guys, but there's also going to be guys that, you know, maybe the position coach really likes, but the strength coach doesn't because he doesn't like the weight room and he doesn't work very hard. So um, you're just trying to get to those contradictions in your sources and, and really figure out why, you know, what, why, why are there those contradictions, you know? So maybe you're reaching out to different sources that next time through, um, you know, if, 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 a, if someone on the coaching staff has an issue, you know, maybe to go, go to someone on the other side of the ball or go to the GAs and figure out, you know, why does, you know, why did I get this information the first time I came through? So that's really what you're trying to do is, is trying to drill down on those, you know, unresolved questions, sometimes maybe where you, you know, just have some differing information. I remember when I was in Green Bay covering the Packers and every so often Brian Gutekunst, the general manager, would tell some old scouting stories and I always found him really fascinating because he would talk about learning to, you know, traverse all these highways and roads in the era when GPS didn't exist and you're getting lost sometimes and you're stopping at gas stations for directions and things. And so when you're a new guy and you're on the road for the first time or the, you know, the first couple of years, is it, is it overwhelming or what is it like to, to just be crisscrossing the country day after day, week after week? Yeah, it was certainly overwhelming when I got into it. Um, Goody and I got in right at the same time. Um, good friend of mine, and yeah, I drove around with a with a uh, Rand McNally Road Atlas, man. And it was uh, <laughs> it, it's one thing it's one thing to like find the city, but it's another thing to like find where the football office is and um, get around campus. And you know, sometimes those campuses are are tough to navigate. So yeah, just finding the building sometimes feels like a, a minor victory in, in your day. But uh, I remember driving around college campuses and 
um, you know, having to like, roll, you know, roll my window down and ask students like, where is the football stadium? Where is the football office? Where, <laughs> um, and just, you know, so it's that part, that part is, it's tough. And that's why as a second year scout, sometimes you feel like you got the thing whipped because at least you know where you're going. Um, and you know who you're, you know who you're meeting. So, you know, the hard, the first, the first couple of years is hard, you know, and then after that, once you start, you know, building relationships with the schools and there's friendly faces in the building and people that you've connected with, it makes it, it makes a heck of a lot, a lot easier. And, and also, you know, you, you get to know the other scouts in your area. So um, sometimes those guys become as much as your coworkers as the guys, the teams you work for, you, you end up seeing guys more in your area than you do the guys on your own staff. You know, when you, when you really think about it, you might get on a track with, with a, a scout or two from another couple other teams and be at the same schools for, you know, for a whole week. Um, so, so no, it's, uh, it's tough. You know, it's a little easier now. You can just look down at your phone and Google maps or whatever and, and get to a place. But, uh, but yeah, there was plenty of times where I got lost and, um, you know, didn't know where I was going. So yeah, there was, plenty of stories like that yeah i wanted to ask you about you know being on the road with scouts from other organizations because i was reading a, a q a that you did with with yahoo sports and and you mentioned the importance of being able to pick the brains of some of these guys when you first started that were you know 60 years old 50 years old that have been scouting you know for decades and then you sort of also explained how that can be a, a slippery slope sometimes because in addition to wanting to pick up knowledge from them you also want to avoid you know, having their opinions or other teams' opinions bleed into your own thoughts about a certain player. So how did you kind of balance that as a young scout when it came to learning from experienced guys, but also trusting what you saw because they hired you for a reason? Yeah, it, it's it's a delicate balance. Um, it is it is hard. So, I mean, most of the stuff, and again, I was coming in and scouting at a really cool time where there were where there was this old guard of scouts, a lot of guys that had been in the business for decades or guys that, you know, were transitioning out of a coaching job pro or college and, and got on the road scout scouting to, you know, kind of end their football journeys as scouts and uh, could learn a lot from those guys. I, I really miss those days, you know, going into school and, and, and maybe it's just you and another, you know, older gentleman and just picking his brain and learning about life and hearing stories. I mean, those were, those were fun days, but, uh, yeah, the the hard part is you you, you don't want to uh, when it comes to specific players you want to you want to let your own eyes do the work. Um, you never want to be overly influenced, and that's why you know scouts you know really shouldn't pay attention now nowadays with so much on social media and the internet. I mean, I, I never was on social media or the internet when I scouted. Um, it, to me, it was just noise, and it we're all humans. I mean, it, sometimes that stuff leads into your your own thoughts. So I always tried to avoid that, but. Um, but yeah, so it is, it's tough. What the, the, what you, what you try to do is, is a area scout is find a couple guys that, you know, are kind of, you know, like-minded, you know, guys whose work ethic you respect and are attacking their jobs the same way you feel like you're attacking it. And, uh, you know, forge some friendships because it is good to, to, uh, you know, bounce things off guys that you trust and respect and, and, and sometimes not even so much on the evaluation, but sometimes on the character end of things. I mean, when you're a young scout, you don't have those relationships and, and you need to get that information. And until you've been through a school a few years, um, sometimes the coaches might, might not, you know, give you the complete story. Uh, and even if you have been into a school for a long time, maybe, you know, your best sources are on the offensive side and, and, uh, you know, the, the, the good source you had on defense went to a different school in the offseason. So you don't really have a great source on that side of the ball. So you need to you need to call a, a buddy from another team, maybe, who who's really tight with the D-line coach at, at a specific school and be like, you know, what did he really think of this guy? What did he what did he say about his football learning? Um, you know, so you do. It's, it's kind of a, a, you know, a group effort at times. You can't you can't be a lone ranger. It's it's really it's it's really a tough tough profession if you, you know, if you went out there and tried to do it on your own. So again, you you can't have too big a circle because, you, you know, that's uh, that's a that's a detriment as well. I mean, you're working for your team, but but again, I think if you have you know you know two or three guys that you can really trust and lean on, um, I think that's the best way to attack the job. 
Yeah, and so after that first year in Washington when you're you're getting your feet wet, you're on the West Coast, obviously, but working for the Redskins, um, then you have an opportunity and you go to New England and you get to settle in and you're there from 2002 to 2008 as the Midwest area scout. So not only is it your second time you know, being a scout, second season being a scout, but you get to be in the same place for five, six years or so. How much of a difference did that make, being able to kind of settle into a territory? And did that help you, you know, down the road, year two, three, four in that territory when you could kind of see players develop over the course of a whole college career? Um, well, you know, I was only out west for one more year after that, and then I went to the Midwest, and I was, I was in the Midwest for quite a while. But, yeah, it is. It's much easier. Uh, once you get set in an, set in an area, it's, it's, again, you it's a familiarity. I mean, you go in, you, you know, the secretary, you know, the guys on the staff, you know, the equipment guy, you know, you know where to go get donuts in the morning to bring the staff. I mean, you know, the city, you know, what hotels and restaurants, I mean, it's just the whole job gets easier and you're building a Rolodex of players. Um, so the evaluation part gets, you know, easier as well. So yeah, that's, uh, that's why teams like to keep guys in a certain area. Um, so they can set down those roots and, and establish those contacts and, um, and, and really become experts in their area. That's the goal is to become an expert in your area. You can start tracking, you know, recruiting classes and you'll, you'll know guys, you'll, you'll have seen them on tape as freshmen. And then you'll remember, you know, when they, they come out as juniors or seniors, I mean, you, you'll have that, that, uh, you know, that history with a player, which is, which is very valuable. You see is, you know, how he's tracked through the school and, and, you know, what his path was to get where he is uh, the year he comes out. So, all that stuff's very valuable. So I was looking through the the list of, of draft picks year by year for the teams that you worked for, and I don't know the exact parameters of your territory or exactly when you got to certain places, so I could be off on this, but in 2002, the Patriots took David Givens in the seventh round, a wide receiver from Notre Dame. Was that the first player from one of your areas that was ever drafted? Uh, no, they took Givens the year before I got there. Okay, so um, would it have been Eugene Wilson then? You've done, you've done more homework. You've done more homework on this than I have. I haven't even looked back and looked at all that stuff. <laughs> I'm guessing uh, maybe Eugene Wilson the following year from Illinois then. Uh, you know, Eugene was a junior. Um, Eugene Wilson's a f- interesting story. He's the reason we started watching junior tape in the summer. Um, you know, before that, scouts would get done with the draft and basically have three months off. And then uh, Eugene Wilson was a guy that, that didn't have a great senior year at Illinois, and Coach Belichick actually dug him up. I didn't go into Illinois that year, uh, but Eugene had a, a crazy number of passes defense his junior year. And uh, I remember, I, you know, Coach Belichick or Scott Pioli, somebody there um, dug him up, and it wasn't on the scouting staff. And we kind of we kind of got read the riot act, and that's so at that point on, we had to watch junior tape the following summer. And now I, I, I don't think there's a team in the league that doesn't watch junior tape in the summer now. So um, that was kind of that was a that was a learning lesson for all of us. But but man, going over the picks, I I don't know. I mean, I'd have to go back and look through old media guides and see who who the who the guys were that the team picked. But again, I get asked that a lot. Like you know, who is the player that that you take most pride in or whatnot? And it's such a team effort now. I mean, there's there's very few times where you can say, yeah, that's, I mean, not a, you can't ever do it. I mean, there's never a time where a player lands up at a team and it's, you know, really one guy's responsibility. So um, you never want to take credit for anything like that because it, it is, it's truly a team effort. When, um, when you were, had the opportunity to go to New England, what was it like to sort of learn the, the scouting preferences and styles of a of second organization having already been with one? Are, are there really philosophical differences team to team, organization to organization? Uh, yeah, I think there's some huge philosophical differences and cultural differences, and that's the benefit of, of moving around a little bit. You know, I really only uh, was exposed to two different ways of doing it, and it's kind of the, the parcels um Pioli Belichick way and then uh you know then the the uh, Ron Wolf John Schneider uh tree so again and they're they're very very different but uh it's really beneficial that's why um, I'm glad I had the opportunity to work under two different systems and two different grading scales and two different value systems because if you're only coming at coming at it from one place um I know I certainly wouldn't have been as good um if I wouldn't have been exposed to the two different ways of really doing and doing things and thinking, um, 
but yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely, it's hugely beneficial. I'm sure it's evolved over the years, but I'm curious back then when you were in new England, how does a guy like Bill Belichick, who's of course the head coach of the football team, but also so involved on the draft side to the point where now he's the one, you know, making the picks. How does a guy like that balance his time between, you know, being a full-time head coach and then also, you know, sort of running the draft? Uh, that sounds like a question for coach Belichick. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. He, he did. Uh, you know, I, I, I do know that, um, I remember Bill, I don't know if he does this now, but I remember he had a day during the week where, um, you know, he'd have, this is back when beta tape, this was before stuff was digitized. He used to have the scouting assistants bring him down, you know, a bunch of, bunch of, bunch of, uh, beta tapes one day a week. So he could, you know, kind of try to stay current through the college, uh, on the college guys through the pro season. But, uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know how the man spends his days, but I know that, uh, you know, he works really hard at it. So I don't know where he finds time to, uh, to do everything, but he, but he does, he figures it out. When I was covering the Packers in Green Bay, it was long after Ron Wolf had, you know, ended his time there in Green Bay. But there was always kind of this, um, this, this sort of mantra that stuck around from Ron Wolf when it came to positional standards and things. And it was, you know, kind of the Terrell Buckley rule, for example, at cornerback that they didn't want corners that were shorter than five eleven. And so when they took Jair Alexander from Louisville a couple of years ago, it was it was a big story in and around Green Bay because they had broken, you know, the Ron Wolf sort of threshold of size for a corner. Do, do teams have those kind of real positional kind of uh, minimums? I mean, obviously you're not going to draft a corner that's 5'5", five, five, but does sometimes, like, does an inch or so, do teams really take that into account for certain positions? Yeah, I think you have to have standards, um, you know, and that doesn't mean there can't be an outlier like Jair Alexander, uh, but yeah, you have to have some sort of standard or you're, uh, I just don't think you're doing it the right way, but I do think the smart teams will will maybe come off that a little bit. Um, if the guy has a certain play style and, you know, maybe plays bigger. Uh, I remember a player that I really liked at, at Florida State when he was coming out, LaMarcus Joyner, um, just because of his play style and his versatility, um, you know, pound for pound, a really strong guy. He was one guy that, uh, you know, he didn't fit our size parameters in Seattle. We were, we were really, you know, stringent on that for corners. But I thought, you know, as a nickel free safety um, he could be a really good player. So, you know, I thought he was a guy that we should consider an outlier and, and, uh, and teams are, you're seeing more teams, you know, um, do that, but uh, you go back to the old, the old, uh, I don't know who you want to attribute it to, um, Parcells or whoever, but you know, you, you start taking exceptions. The next thing you know, you have a whole team of exceptions. So, um, I know teams try to, to, to stay pretty close to adhere to their, their standards. When you were um, when you were with Seattle, you were scouting the Southeast, you know, and and that's obviously the most fertile area of college football in terms of perennial powerhouse programs. And so, I remember hearing stories from guys saying that the Southeast area scout carried, um, you know. I don't want to say extra responsibility because it's not like you're going to write reports more sloppily if you're scouting other areas. But do you feel like uh, the schools that you're scouting and things when you're in the Southeast just just have some sort of a, a little heightened weight to them? Because I was looking at the the draft classes, like I mentioned, and just the years that you were in Seattle, you know, three guys, three guys, three guys, two guys, four guys, all from from one specific area year after year. Well, I just think you look at the draft numbers and, and the SEC alone over the last two years accounted for, I think it was the exact same number the last year, 25% of the draft. Um, so that'll tell you right there that, you know, the type of football that's played down here. So, yeah, I mean, you've got powerhouse schools in the Southeast. You've got Bama and Clemson and Auburn. And, I mean, there's just it's really good football down here. Um, you know, you can find certain positions down here that you can't find other places in the country. I mean, it's a D line heavy area. It's a corner heavy area. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, you never see yourself any different than the other scouts. I mean, you're all, you're all doing the same job, but, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're scouting a lot of good players down here when you've got schools like LSU and, and all these great schools down here, Florida. Um, it's, it's just, there's a ton of talent. So there's, there's responsibility there. In addition to the school calls during the week, would you try and go to a game every Saturday? Is that kind of something you shoot for? Uh, it just depends on where you're at with your report writing for the week. I mean, if you have time, yeah, you you would love to get to a game. But uh, when it gets into October, November, you're you're basically up from sun up till sundown. You know, six a.m. to 
midnight or one o'clock in the morning typing reports because they're all due on Sunday or Monday, you know, depending on the team. So if you went into a, you know, you went into a, a couple big schools that week and you've got, you know, 30, 30 some reports to write and draftable reports take two hours and you're writing up, you know, just 20 draftable players. That's four, that's a 40 hour work week that you got to do after you leave the school. So I don't think people understand like what a burden that is. So yeah, if you can get to a game there, it's beneficial. Um, but sometimes you just can't do it. Sometimes you're stuck in the hotel typing all weekend. Yeah. And I can imagine that, you know, <laughs> I think about sometimes sitting down to write a story and after four five, six hours staring at the computer screen, I start to lose it a little bit. So having to do that for 20 guys, for example, from an Alabama or a Clemson or something, I can imagine that gets a little, uh, that gets a little, you know, grating on the eyes after a while. I'm curious, did you find it easier or difficult for you personally to scout certain positions when you were younger? And were there some that it was harder for you to learn or some that were easier that you gravitated toward more quickly? Uh, yeah, sure. I think any scout would say that. Yeah, I think there's certain positions you just have more of a feel for, whether it's a position you grew up playing. Um, you know, I mean, for me, linebacker was a tough position. Um, when I when I got going, um, you're always trying to self-scout yourself. And, you know, after every draft, you know, you go back and you, you see where you, you know, maybe were too high or too low on players. And, and again, I think that's the, the great part of scouting is that, you know, you work on staff that um, the camaraderie there, you can lean on guys you work with. And I was lucky enough. I worked with some good linebackers over my time and, and you should do this at all positions. You know, you, you're on staff with, you know, guys on the coaching staff and scouting staff that were great players that, at, at their levels and and you know you just you just humble yourself and ask questions and 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 try to pick their brain and and try to glean information i think that uh i think it's a it's a constant learning process you know even with players you know you you, you get you get close to certain players that maybe you know you draft it from your area and you get close to them and yeah, you sit and watch tape of them when they're on your team and you ask them what they're seeing and you know why'd you do this and and again you just that's the great thing about football. You should never feel like you've you've got it licked. I mean, it's always constantly learning. That's really interesting. I don't think I've ever had anybody told me uh, explain to me that after their team drafts a guy or signs a guy, or whatever, that they would go back and you know the scouts would kind of pick that guy's brain or watch tape with them and things like that. Are there any guys you can think of or that you feel comfortable mentioning that were you know players that that helped you and and guided you along the way in certain points? Well. You know, more so for that, where you have, where those relationships are really helpful is uh, when you're, when you're scouting back at that player's school the next few years on the players he knows that he came up with. So, uh, you know, that's, that's really, that's, that's really the most beneficial. Like when you're talking about current players, um, you know, I can't really think of too many times where I popped in the film room and asked a a current player, but uh, you know, sometimes after they retire, you have those relationships with guys, but uh, you might see them at a camp or something in the summer. So, no, man, it's just a constant learning process. Um, you should always you should always have an open mind and and uh, you know be resourceful and, and wanting to learn and be an open minded. Mixed into your experience in in various areas of the country, you also had a stint as a national scout with the Chiefs. How would you sort of describe what the day to day was like as a as a national scout? You know, versus some of the days day to day experiences you already described as an area scout. Uh, it's uh, you know your emphasis more is on the evaluation um, of the player more so than the than the character evaluation of the person. Again, you, you're probably only going through the school one time rather than multiple times. They, you know, if you're if if you've got to go into Alabama, you're probably only there once. You know, whereas the area scout's probably there three times, so it's more of his his responsibility on the character part. But you still try to get as much information as you can, especially if you have good sources on that staff from you know your your previous years of going through that school or relationships you have from guys that move around. I mean, it's, college football is crazy right now. I mean, guys are you just you just look at some of these staffs. I mean, guys aren't the same place two or three years at a time. They're so they're constantly moving. So you're going to know people in every building. And, and so there is a, there is a character element, but it's more so you're there to really, um, you know, really learn the player. And again, get the stuff you can't get on the tape, go to practice, really hone in on practice. Um, 
those sort of things. So it's a, it's a little more taxing um, when you're an over-the-top guy because you know you're only going to be there once. Yeah, I can imagine that, you know, when you're only there once, you know, you, you, you only have that single opportunity to watch the tape or talk to guys and things. And, and if you're somebody who, you know, has kind of that type A personality where you really want to make sure you get all the information, I can understand why why that would be stressful, you know, for, for you going into the national role. Um, you know, is that a situation, too, where it's almost like the connections that you may have had at that school from, from years prior, you can kind of call on them again as an opportunity to say, hey, look, I'm only going to be here one day. Can you kind of can you accelerate this? Or you know, I remember you you helped me with this back in the day. Is that something that you can kind of draw on, having known people in those areas? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I mean, so much of the job is relationship building. I mean, it it really is. You you really need to work hard on the relationship building. I mean, every all thirty two teams have multiple guys going through these schools every day. I feel like you got to you got to do things while you're at the school to make people remember you and build those relationships and. Um, so you're not getting just the company line information. Um, and those relationships are, are critical, even in the job I'm in now. I mean, I get people on the, you know, people on the phone at schools, you know, on a daily basis where I, you know, need information on a player and, uh, you know, you, you need people to pick up the phone for you. And, uh, so no, you just, you just treat people well. And, and again, so when you're in a national scouting role, some of it is done more over the phone. Um, than it is, you know, in person at the school, just because you, you don't have that time. And, you know, maybe you can't connect with that per you know, a couple guys on the staff that you do know, maybe they're in meetings all day and they're just, they're just locked in the, they're just locked in the staff room and they can't get out. So, you know, you hit them up on the weekends, you know, you hit them up on Sunday um, to follow up on the guys that, you know, the guys you looked at that week. So yeah, it's uh, again, you, you just got to be resourceful. I remember hearing stories from from guys in Green Bay talking about, you know, the month leading up to the draft or whenever they would have their organizational meetings and all the area scouts would fly back to Green Bay and they'd have, you know, they used to call them kind of jokingly a little bit, you know, pound the table meetings where they would go through player by player and the area scout would give his opinion of the guy and then anybody else who had seen him would weigh in and then they put some of the tape up on the board so everybody could watch it simultaneously. Um, I'm sure it varies organization to organization, but how would you sort of describe what it's like in the build up to the draft and then and then the draft itself for, for a scout? Are you just as anxious as, as, you know, some of the other people in the organization? Yeah, you're probably, yeah, you're just as anxious. Um, there's a ton of anxiety leading up to a draft. And to answer your question, yeah, every, like, going back to, like, we talked about working for different programs. I mean, everyone does it differently. I mean, there's, you know, that, that Ron Wolf tree way of doing it. You're you're back in the office three weeks for three or four weeks prior to the draft, and you're there the whole time. Yep. And you're, you're watching tape, and you're going back over every player. You're going over the information that you got at the combine and pro days and, you know, spending time with these guys, you know, before or after pro day. Um, there's a ton that goes into that buildup. And then there's other programs where they'll bring in, you know, two days before the draft and you're not even in the draft room. So, I mean, there's just different ways of, of structuring it. Um, but yeah, those are, those are kind of the pound the table meetings. I mean, that's the opportunity where you can really, you know, you, you say your final piece and, uh, you know, and if you work for a, a, a great GM um, who values your opinion and the scouts' opinions, then you, you feel like you have a voice. And that's to me, that's all any scout can ask for is to feel like he's, you know, being heard and he's got a voice. And, you know, it's not always, you know, that they're not always going to pick the players that you like and they might pick players that you don't like. It's, you're not always going to come to a consensus. But that's, that's, you know, that's not what's important. It's important is, is getting the right player for the team and, um, once they're on your team, they're your guy. I mean, you go from, you might be, you know, maybe fighting against the guy a little bit, but once your team picks him, um, you become his biggest cheerleader. You know, you want that guy to, to help you win Super Bowl. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a anxiety ridden time because it's the one, it's, it's the biggest, um, team building, you know, tool that teams have is the draft. So, you know, you can really make your team better in those three days. So it's, uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of buildup and a lot of anxiety and, and a lot of excitement. It's a, it's a fun it's a fun process. Do you have any uh, favorite memories of guys that you were really excited that your teams picked? You know, players that you were really you know hoping that that would be available or would fall to you on a board, and they ended up coming to your organization. Man, a lot. Um, yeah, quite a few. I mean, most recently, I 
and I don't know why this is popped in my head right now, but um, like when we got Shaquem Griffin in Seattle, it was just a special, just remember the call with John Schneider, that thing went viral when he called Shaquem and, uh, you know, he was crying on the phone and we kind of reunited Shaquille and Shaquem as, as, as teammates. It uh, was was a pretty special moment. That was pretty awesome um, to bring those guys back together. I ended just just scouting those two guys and, and know how close they are um, to reunite them for for their pro careers. That was that was a sp- pretty special moment. That sticks out. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. They were coming out of were they Central Florida? Is that right? Yeah, they were UCF. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a pretty neat moment. And obviously, you know, just to have brothers playing together is awesome. And then you take into account some of the adversity that they've overcome and everything. That is that is really, really cool. Um, I want to circle back to the Senior Bowl a little bit here as we start to wrap this up. And I'm curious now, you know, when, when you look and, and identify players and things, um, you know, what are the traits that, that you're looking for for guys now? You know, when you're working for an organization, you have standards and things that you're looking for there. So what are some of the standards that, that Jim Nagy has put in place for, for what he wants at the Senior Bowl? Well, the bottom line standard is we, we the goal is to get everyone drafted. Um, we're trying to bring the best players possible. Again, I, I feel like our, in, in, you know, here in our, in our building, I mean, our we work for the 32 teams. I, I, I really take that responsibility. Uh, I don't take that responsibility lightly. So um, that's why we've, we've tried to, you know, construct this thing the same way they do. And that's why we have scouts on the road and we're at games and we're, we're watching all the tape. We've made huge strides in terms of getting all our scouts um, downloadable tape so they can watch it all week and really, really put in the same resources that the teams do. Um, the nice thing is we're not scheme specific. You know, when you're working for a certain team, you can eliminate a lot of guys, you know, through the process because they don't really fit you. Whereas the nice thing here is everyone fits us. You know, we can, we can just, you know, take the best players and, um, you know, they're going to fit somebody. They're going to, they're going to fit one of the 32 teams or a handful of the 32 teams, but just trying to get the best players. Um, you know, that, that's, that's really all we're trying to do. And, uh, you know, the only different part of this job than, than the teams is that there's a recruiting element to this job that there's not when you're working for a team. I mean, they, right. they just get to pick the players. I mean, this, this job, you, you pick the players, but you also got to get them to show up. So, uh, you know, and sometimes they're they're being told by certain people that you know they sh- shouldn't come to an all-star game, and you know that they're you know they're going to be a first or second round pick. And you know my my comeback to that has been since I took this job is that to me those guys in the first and second round have more to gain from the Senior Bowl than than maybe the third, fourth, fifth round guys just because every single one of those draft spots is worth so much money. And I th- I think you can you look at like guys like Javon Kinlaw this year. Yep. who probably was in the he was probably in the 20s somewhere and you go from you know the mid 20s up to 16 or 15 wherever he got taken um with the 49ers i mean that's millions and millions of dollars um daniel jones the year before you know daniel was probably somewhere in the the teens or 20s and he goes six overall so um so that's the only difference is that there's a little bit of a recruiting element to this thing. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we've seen those videos or tweets online when college programs get a big commitment, either basketball or football, from a, you know, a stud recruit or somebody they were really looking after or trying to go for. And I feel like now there's there's kind of an element of that with you where you get a commitment from somebody. There's still work to do to get them physically actually to Mobile, but I can imagine the fist pumps. And I think I read an article saying you guys ring a bell when somebody accepts an invitation when you guys are in the office. Uh, is it I mean you know between that and then the feeling of seeing one of your players get drafted is it is it almost like a you know they're kind of like your kids in a certain way they came and and they they succeeded after uh yeah man it's, it's you do you get close to these guys and and um and it gets you know you get to know them and and you know that they're changing their they're changing the course you know a lot of cases they're changing the course of their family trajectory you know they're they're going to be able to provide for their families and and that's that's pretty cool so when you work for a team you you might have seven to ten picks or something and you're kind of waiting those out um whereas this you know the last couple of years we've had 93 guys taken each of the last two years so you know you go on some fun runs where i think there was a, a time in the third round this year we had eight straight senior bowl guys go oh wow uh, which was a cool which was a cool run and then the year before we had a a cool run in the twenties in the first round. I think we had five guys go in the twenties in the first round um, or six. 
so that draft day is a lot of fun. You know, you know, these guys put a lot into the process and, and our scouts put a lot of work into it too. I mean, this, these guys work really hard. Um, our staff does a great job. So it's kind of, you know, one opportunity where we can all, you know, get together and, 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 uh, you know, see this thing to its fruition. So it's, uh, it's really rewarding. It's a lot of fun. Um, again, I just feel like we're, you know, we're, we're a function of the league. We're doing this thing for those guys. And the most rewarding part is when, you, you know, you get, you know, you have some of your peers in the league tell you that, you know, the roster is really good and they had a great week down here. And, you know, to me, that's, those are the those are the most rewarding times just hearing from guys in the league and and you know when seeing the players get picked awesome well well jim i can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day to share some insight and explain a little bit of what the scouting process is like and also you know some of the awesome stuff you guys are building down there for the senior bowl so thank you so much for taking the time and hopefully we have some some awesome college football to look forward to this fall so that the game next spring can be uh, just as good as it has been if not even better so thanks again for your time jim i really appreciate it yeah, I appreciate you having me on, and I'm with you. Fingers crossed on this football season, man. I hope hope we can get there. But uh, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. So there you have it, a conversation with Jim Nagy, executive director of the Senior Bowl down there in Mobile, Alabama. I really appreciate him taking some time to speak with me and, and sort of peel back the curtain a little bit on what goes into both the Senior Bowl process and scouting in general. I always love hearing from scouts there. They're not people that we get to talk to very often as NFL reporters, but when you do get a chance to touch base with them, you know, on the record as opposed to just shooting the breeze or, you know, running into them at a game or whatever, you can really kind of understand a little bit about what that world is like and and how it goes into the player recommendations they make, and how it builds a franchise. These are the guys that are identifying the players that you will end up rooting for on a Sunday. And you can figure out how your teams come together, which scouts are, are you know more successful than others in terms of identification of players, or which areas an organization thrives on. Um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting business, and it's one that is grueling, both in terms of the hours and the strain it puts on family members and, and kids and, and all those kinds of things with, with people growing up and trying to build families and things. So it's a, it's a fascinating business. It's, it is a crucial part of the NFL machine and, and sort of the way that that business turns and evolves. But uh, again, fascinating guys to learn from, so hopefully you enjoyed that. All future episodes of this podcast will be available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you listen to shows. As I said at the beginning, if you're listening on an Apple device, please leave a review. I appreciate every five-star review and every comment that you guys leave. It, it really makes a difference and really brightens my day while also increasing exposure for the show. So thank you all very much to everyone who has done so and for everyone that will do so. I really do appreciate it. Until the next episode of this podcast, I hope you have a terrific rest of your day, a terrific rest of your week, and I will talk to you again soon.